What's up, bro? What's up, dude? You believe we're here? No, this is. <laughs> I didn't know this existed in Northwest no. Arkansas. I, it's taking a lot to get used to. Mm-hmm. It's the headphones, and it feels like I'm in a like a Air Force plane. Or, I mean, yeah, it's like flying, um, and like having the oxygen. Ma- you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Where you're like mm-hmm. talking across the sky. No, I feel it feels like we're in a helicopter together. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really trippy cool. hearing yourself talk to yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what have you done today? Today? Um, today was an interesting day. I had a meeting. We're doing a time capsule. And have you heard of Bristol Farms in Los Angeles? No, no. Uh, we're doing a project out there for one of my clients. We're building like a, a giant, they're a water bottle company. We're building a giant water bottle. And then people get to fill out a note for themselves a year from now and put it in the bottle. Nice. So we had to plan that today. Wow. Is that Gen Z water? Yeah. Nice, man. Yeah. And so were you designing the water bottle itself? Well, they, we have to design the big bottle. And so we have to morph their, they have a really cool, interesting bottle design. So we have to morph it to fit that bottle. Um, it, we wanted, I wanted it to be like six feet tall, but we weren't able to get that last hmm. minute. And so it's about yay high and it'll be kind of cool once it's, once it's there. That's uh, cool. For real. Yeah. How many notes do you think will be in it? Well, they're supposed to get a couple thousand visitors that day oh. in that location. So we'll see. It could be nobody and no one wants to write a note for some clear paid promotion, but we'll see. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Man. I think it'll do, do well. So uh, I didn't know you're still working with Gen Z too much. I know they got mm-hmm. bought out by Langers. Yeah, I'm working with their client. I mean, they're my client, the parent company. Um, and so I'm their minion for any of their marketing services. So nice. Gen Z, their juice brands, any of that. You're, you're their minion. I'm their minion. Yeah. I mean, my, my retainer has like a contract that I'm supposed to work on and has nothing to do with Gen Z, but I mean, I act like there's like, I do all their marketing for like any mini projects. I'm involved in it just a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, I usually dabble in their, their other pet projects. Yeah. So I, I want to get to the point in your life in 2018. Is that when you started your first t-shirt business? That wasn't my first, but it was my first successful one for sure. Okay. I want to. It's like 2015 when I first got Oh, entrepreneurship. Okay. I want to backtrack to from where you are now with Langers to the previous businesses you've done until Mm -hmm. that uh, most successful one. And then once we get there, you can just take it away. Okay. So you want to start now. Yeah. Go back. Go back. I just want to see. I actually don't even know all that you've done. Interesting. Okay. Do you want more like, like what kind of podcast vibe you're going for do you want more of just like the businesses my story do you want yeah, more just your of story okay and the businesses okay all right um so right now i'm doing two things at the same time i'm, I'm running a marketing agency and then that marketing agency i'm using the funds that I, I i sort of make from that to build uh this app called Crosspost. yeah cross i didn't know yeah. you wanted to talk about that it's up to you man what do you want to talk about no nah, we don't have to since it's so new and it hasn't even mm-hmm. uh like got a footing yet i don't i don't want to i don't want to mention too much about it we can we can it's up to you it's uh it's like that's my passion project yeah and then marketing agency although i still love the work i get to do with that um that is a lot more task oriented like that is i know what to do these are the work that it takes to do that um there's no really dreaming or experimentation it's more of this is the work we need to do to provide eyeballs on their juice brands on pineapple juice on gin z water for cross post i actually get to build a product and that, that is like that thing I do that like really makes me feel like not thrive, but it, it, it may, it's like an inherent passion about it because I love the creative stage. I love like the idea of like coming up with 
what is some person I don't know, the customer gonna, how are they gonna use my product? So I love thinking yeah. about that. Let's talk about crossposts if you want to. Okay, sure, yeah. So I've been working on it for like a year and a half. It hasn't been like created yet. Um, right now we're in the uh, the development stages of it. Yep. But the idea, I've been tinkering that uh, with that for a while. And so the idea is, first TikTok came out and then TikTok got copied. TikTok's vertical video, nine by 16 vertical video, you swipe up to see the next video. They sort of made that popular. Um, as soon as that started like to hit the market and explode, I, I mean explode, it, it had amazing growth from the oh, fastest yeah. growing apps of all time. Um, the whole culture of social media, of both people that do it for a living and regular people, they all understood that this was the next Instagram. This was the next wave. It wasn't like when Instagram took off where people were still speculating, is this going to be the next thing that we need to get part of? Um, is this going to be cool? Are young people going to uh, use this? We already knew that it was going to be like that, how it was in the past. And so everyone, uh, influencers, businesses, and then regular people, go farther back. Yeah, I think your, your channel is right over. Okay, Dude. yeah, I'm trying to engage with you. Dude, yeah, this is no, super I, cool though. I'm sorry, I, you got too passionate. Oh, yeah. Go yeah. ahead. You, you, you stop me. Resume the passion, want. dude. Yeah, you control me. You hold me on leash, and then whatever <laughs> you want. But uh, basically, people knew that TikTok was going to be the next big thing. And so everyone rushed to it. Um, and Instagram saw that. And so Instagram copied TikTok with Instagram Reels. YouTube saw that. So YouTube copied TikTok with YouTube Shorts. Then mm -hmm. Facebook copied it with Facebook Reels. Then Snapchat created Snapchat Spotlight. And then Pinterest released this thing called Idea Pins. Um, and they're all the same format, nine by 16 vertical videos. And so if you're a creator now, the more places you post on, the better, to, the more reach you can, you can have. And so you're seeing these creators that are posting three to four times every time they make one video on each platform to get the maximum amount of reach. And so if they have to post on every single platform, and I know creators that post four to five times a day, some more like 10, um, it's a lot of work to have to create your video and then upload it to each separate app, type in the caption, choose the music, turn on or off the switches for the settings, mm -hmm. and then hit post. This allows you to do it all at the same time with one click. Um, and then it also allows you to view all of your social media feeds in one place. Um, and so that hasn't been done before and it's not been done how I want to do it. There's other competitors, but they're, they're thinking more of like an enterprise business model. They're not thinking of, let's make an app that looks and feels like social media that everyone can pick up and use and start posting everywhere. So that's the idea for the app. And so I really believe in it. I'm investing more money in that app than I'm paying myself from my marketing agency. Um, and you know, my background, you know how, like, it's probably not the best financial decision, but I feel like it's going to be very successful. So I'm willing to take that risk. I think you, I think you have the spirit of an entrepreneur and you have to do the risk and, uh, like if this doesn't work out, then I don't know what I'm going to do because I'm spending so much, yeah. but yeah, dude, that, that app gets me so excited hmm. and you're what, two weeks away, two and a half weeks. Oh no, we're probably, we, 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 we got the team on it, um, just a month and a half ago. Okay. And so we have like two more months until early beta. Oh, okay. Hmm. I, th I think, you, I think I meant months. I remember you saying that. Yeah. I thought it was weeks. Okay. Well, I cool, wish. man. Yeah. yeah that, I can, I'm excited to see that. Appreciate it, bro. I always thought when you told me that, that it's going to be really sought after. Mm -hmm. I said like the Facebooks and the Instagrams, I guess they're, I guess they're the same, but the, everyone's going to want a piece of it because you, you, you have your finger in every single platform and they, I think, I think any social media would want that ability to project to everyone. Mm -hmm. And, I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, bro. Yeah, it's a lot of work, um, but this is my first time working with um, real, like, software developers yeah. that are actually coding. Mm. Um, I've used a lot of, like, website templates and a lot of different things that you're, you're sort of putting bricks and pieces together. Like, okay, this part is for my product page. This part is for 
um, sort of the recommendation feed for it, but it was never from scratch where there is no template. There is no website for it. Everything is completely bare bones, like the code, the UI is a different set of code. So yeah, this is my first time being able to dabble with something like that. So they're typing like, mm -hmm. if you want, like, it's literally everything. Mm -hmm. The whole entire website's just a blank screen at the beginning, right? Yeah, yeah. So they're, your guys are completely designing it. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. That is really cool. Um, so that's what you're doing now. Go back. I know you had Ethos. Explain explain that and then anything preceding Ethos as well. For sure, for sure. Yeah, so that was um, Ethos and the brands before that were basically me. That was my college degree. That was my university. That was my training for being able to run a marketing agency was all the work I did before that with e-commerce with um, really understanding the fundamentals of how exposure and culture works on, on social media. And so using that marketing strategy and applying it to, towards an established business. Um, so that's why I'm excited about CrossFest because I think it'll be a finally my first extremely like well-built established business, not like a brand new company I'm getting off the ground where I could apply marketing to it and it sells and I don't have to worry about fulfillment and supply chain, which that's what happened to Ethos. So Ethos was, um, I, have always wanted to have like a, an idea of a fashion brand for, since I was probably in high school. Um, I love the idea of, of creating a brand on Instagram that was extremely visual. So it was almost like we were building visual content on Instagram that you can buy into if you want to buy buying clothing and merchandise. And we wanted to create really, really interesting content on Instagram uh, and have like that brand have a story to it that people thought was cool. So ethos means character. Um, and so we played off that as far as we could take it. Like ethos means like uh, your character. Now, um, during that time, like a year or two before that was when I had my sort of my, my Jesus experience. So I was like, okay, how do you be made new? So e ethos is character reborn, um, all things new. Um, going from darkness to light. So that was the idea for the brand. That was the content that we made. So we needed to make content that was like a little bit more emotional than you would get for a clothing brand, a little bit more yeah. of a story than you would get for a clothing brand. Um, and the idea for it was a butterfly for metamorphosis. Um, so we made these like, this is my first time being able to create something again for a product wise completely from scratch. Um, so I've, I've made a lot of clothing. I've, I've, I've sold a ton of t-shirts and stuff but they were never like completely from scratch where I could choose like the fabric, choose the, the, the label. And anyone who's ever made a clothing brand, the idea of being able to put in the, uh, your own label in the back is always the most exciting thing ever. Cause like, that's what makes it like professional or like unique. Like this is mine. Mm -hmm. I'm not just using a Gildan and not just using some kind of blank. Um, but this was like way more than just a label. It was like, what kind of stitching do you want on the hem for the cuff? to the actual like rest of the fabric. How wide is the uh, the hoodie, the hood part gonna be? So that was like really interesting for me. Um, but long story short, we bought way too much product. COVID happened and we had to go from a whole set of collection of products to just one product. And it was the butterfly piece. And then just to be extremely honest, it, it looked really good in person. People loved seeing it. But that is different than people putting their money up for it and buying it. Mm -hmm. And people just did not buy it. People did not. I got so much traffic on that website, but the conversion rate was terrible. Yeah. Uh, so it just wasn't a winning product. And I had like thousands and thousands of units, just inboxes, uh. just stagnant. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it, that, that was the main reason it didn't work out. Um, but also our costs got so high and turnaround times got so long because of COVID. It was only supposed to take like four to five months to create the product. It took us 12 to four, actually it took us 14 months for actually delivery of product. And because so much money had to go to these things that were sort of set up, but not really paying yet. 
Yeah. Like there's no revenue yet. It was eating away our budget. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that just, that, that, but I learned a ton through that and yeah. that was probably a very big stepping stone towards the agency. Yeah. Dude, the butterfly is beautiful and Thank you, you had an artist paint it. Yeah. Yeah. Her name was Bella. I forgot her last name, but she was really, or Belle, I think she was really, really, uh, she's a cool person. So I had someone that, um, like could paint it and I had someone that did like rapper, SoundCloud rapper, um, mm -hmm. CD, like design that was able to like add like oh, a techno yeah, yeah. filter to it. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you, bro. I, I have the hoodie and shirt now. I really like. Oh it. yeah, I forgot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so bridging that gap. Was there anything in between Ethos and the Patriot? Um. Yes, that was a really a uh, chaotic time. There was there was a few different businesses that. So I when I uh, after Proud American Supply. I lost everything. I literally was penniless. Um, and so I had this amazing like friend. Um, we weren't that close at the time, but through that, he, he supported me a ton and we became friends through that. Um, in terms of support, I mean like a bed, a car. Um, and then he, I was going to be building um, these businesses for him and he'd pay me um, in order to be able to like to sustain myself while I build these businesses for him. So we had a few projects that some of them went really well. Some of them uh, not so much. Um, long story short, we did probably about, I would say close to like $800,000 worth of revenue for his businesses. Um, but none of them were able to really sustain themselves long-term. And so that was really tough because that was my first time where it wasn't just me building my own business for myself. Like a, like if something is successful or unsuccessful, it rests on my shoulders. Well, now the guy that's helping me a lot by just having a place to stay um, you want to make it right for him. You want to be able to give back towards him. And so when the, the business is, isn't able to like sustain itself and be successful for him, not even for me, yeah. that's a tough feeling. Cause that's the dude that like the house you're staying at, the food that you're yeah. eating that day. Um, so that was really like an interesting experience. That was about a year, I'd say a year and a half in, uh, in old Fort Smith, Arkansas. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, in it's, it's not just you anymore. It's mm -hmm. you. And then it affects him. Mm -hmm. That responsibility stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there was, there was there was a bunch of different uh, businesses through that. They all had to do with um, really digital brands, yeah. uh, branding, advertising, um, and then we would source products. Um, it was a little bit of dropshipping, but it wasn't really dropshipping. It was mostly uh, we would work with with people that um, they had they made a brandless product. Um, again, it was clothing. It was pretty much my entire uh, like track record was clothing up until now. Um, and so they were able to be sold under any brand name. Nice. And so we would work with them, verify the product, verify the, uh, the, the supplier, uh, and then we'd sell their product on our own branded site. Nice. Yeah. Did you talk about Proud American Supply? I thought it was Patriot. Yeah, I know. So that, this is, like, this story is just insane. So talk about just the beginning and then, and yeah, just take it away. Do it. Do whatever you, you want. Go in as much depth as you would like to. Um, but it all started with that one product, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, that was like early. It's amazing how fast we just went over many years. Like, yeah, um, that was 20. I'd say 2015 was my first started entrepreneurship heavy. 2016, I think, was the beginning of that brand. Um, and that was my first major taste of success. Mm -hmm. uh, that was my first time like like I went from literally just entrepreneur to that wasn't an entrepreneur. Just, I was trying things, testing things. I wasn't like doing anything like legitimate to all of a sudden I had a million dollar brand that I had to like manage while I was in high school. Wow. So that was a, a huge transition for me. Um, and so 
I had this idea for, again, it was always clothing. Um, and the brands I was doing before then were sort of like my different versions of what ethos was going to be. So that was like the young version of like what I wanted my cool clothing brand to be. And I, I was, I was doing kind of well with that. Where I was able to sell some stuff. Um, Twitter was actually like the clothing space and Twitter actually had a presence. It doesn't, doesn't anymore. Um, and so I was able to build some brands there. So I had some money from that, maybe like $10,000 I was able to invest in this. Um, but I basically, I had that money. I had my dad say, Hey, can you take out all this stuff from my savings from like Christmas and my birthdays and just like, I'm really serious about this entrepreneurial stuff, uh, entrepreneurial stuff. I want to, I want to really like full, fully go into it. Um, and so he said, yes, although it was a lot of convincing to, to mm -hmm. get to that point. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I saw that and I wasn't well-versed in politics at all. I was, I think barely 18, maybe 17 when I first, first started. Um, but Donald Trump was like ready to become president. It was still the election cycle, but it was, it was pretty much like 2016. That was yeah. his election year. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the whole shift of the whole like world in terms of yeah. young people being so involved in politics, like more so than they ever have been. That was really interesting. Um, and so I saw that like there's something to this. And I was just learning about Facebook advertising at the time. Facebook advertising, it gets thrown around now. Um, it was extremely different back in like 2016. It was it, not a lot of people were doing it. Um, I'm sure you've heard of the term drop shipping and, and Facebook ads. It wasn't a thing yet. I think it's cringe now just to say drop shipping and Facebook ads. I think like everyone sort of tosses that around. Um, but this was like when it was first like on the scene, people didn't even know what, if you said drop shipping, nobody would know what that, that was. Um, and so I, I, I was like really early on when, when Facebook ads were really becoming prominent for e-commerce brands. Um, and so, I, I was learning these skills via these past brands and I was like, I can do this and I need a product. I know how to make clothing. I think patriotic clothing would be huge for this. Yeah. And I saw these, like I would, I would, I saw this ad for a patriotic t-shirt. Um, and that, that sort of gave me the handbook of like, okay, so you need an American flag. You need to talk about God. You need to talk about guns. You need to talk about the second amendment. And then you need to talk about sort of like just patriotic messaging. Beer trucks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. I think the, the shirt that blew up was said, I am politically incorrect. Um, I don't bow my knee. Like I stand up for the anthem. I shoot guns. Uh, I didn't say drinking beer, but it did say stuff just about like, uh, God family and, and all that. Yeah. Uh, and so I saw it done really poorly and like, I can make a way better version of that. And so I just, I designed like this, like really, like I spent so much effort and time trying to make the absolute sickest. I'm politically incorrect t-shirt. Um, so I got this design. I found a website that had all these photos of different people wearing clothing that was blank. So I threw that design on that. I had no clothing. I've never even held the product yet. Mm -hmm. um, and I built a whole brand around that one shirt. And so I came up with the name Proud American Supply. I hired this dude in Ukraine to build a logo for it. And so like this dude had to build a patriotic American logo, yeah. of, like a bird, half bird, half flag, half uh, title of Proud American Supply. Um, and so I made the shirt. I put it out there. And it, it did really well early on. Um, but then I really, I was still learning Facebook ads at that point. And then I really started to test how can I run a strategy on this? And, and finally, I think I cracked the code of Facebook ads and it went from just like selling a few thousand units to I was selling tens of thousands of units every month and it, it, it absolutely blew up. Um, and so at that point, uh, I was like, 
oh, this is more than just one t-shirt design. So then I started building these other t-shirts designs. I started building um, hoodies, women's uh, crew necks and sleeveless shirts, athletic gear. Uh, I started like just wrapping around this one t-shirt, all these different products and trying to build an actual brand out of it. Um, and so I was good at the clothing and the product and I was good at the ads and it was crushing at the time. But I was really, really bad at the supply chain and, and logistics. And I, was, I wasn't really good at my numbers. I mean, this is my first time I was like extremely successful. And so all the numbers I looked at for the business were in the Facebook ad manager. None of them were actually in my bank account. None of them yeah. were actually in the accounting. I was very slim profit at that point because I was putting so much money into marketing. My revenue was insane, um, but I really wasn't taking too much time to think about, okay, I'm spending this much on product every single month and this much on ads. And this is what it takes for us to be profitable. I could have probably made a lot more money if I actually scaled down my revenue. At that point I was doing around two to $300,000 a month. I probably got to scale that down to like $50,000 and because there was less volume, make the same amount of profit mm. and have way less overhead. Cause it was just me and this guy named Marco that was in the Philippines helping me with customer service. I feel yeah in the philippines in the philippines bro we uh your we customer had, service rep and him and me yeah it was Dude. so many emails we had to we had to answer and so i was doing everything i was running yeah. i was creating the product um at that point uh, i was no, uh, i was actually working with a company to, to produce the clothing um but it was, it was still sort of a print-on-demand model so yeah. we wouldn't buy the product up front we would actually just have it printed on a, on the t-shirts and hoodies and stuff um as the orders came in Okay. Uh, and so I was like running everything that was extremely uh, stressful at that point because I was running the business after football practice, after school, trying to cram in my homework. Um, and after algebra two, come <laughs> home and <laughs> run a business. Literally, literally. You were how old are you? 17, 18 high school? Um, I think I, when I got successful, I was 18. And so you were, you said making 300,000 in revenue a month. That was, so, yeah, some of my bigger months. That was, was so really that's bad. what, like, you, you crossed two million a year that year, I guess. What was that, 2016? Yeah, the first the first year was a one, one, 1. 1.5, and then the second year was two. So, what did that feel like being 18 high school student, 18 year old mm -hmm. high school student running a, a just getting two million dollars in revenue? I don't know how much you profited personally, but like, what was um, probably like two hundred fifty thousand dollars or something like that. So, at 18, you you earned 250,000 quarter million dollars. It didn't feel like that though. It, so like I, I was really dead set on my company being successful and sustainable. Yeah. Um, and all I really wanted was for my company to be able to run, um, run itself well consistently. I mean, ever since day one, there was problems early on in the company. I mean, I, it was my first time having this much like responsibility on yeah, my hands. And so there's a lot of things that I was doing poorly because I just had no knowledge of how to do it better. Um, and so the, the amount of stress that came with that, I never really got to have a moment where I sat back and went like, oh, I have, I have all this money. I'm 18. This is yeah, great. Basking the it world. wasn't like that. It was, yeah. I was like really anxious through all of it. I was extremely anxious through all of it. Um, and then not really, I actually had more peace after I lost everything yeah. and had less responsibility <laughs> than yeah. I did when I had the money. And that really helped me figure out like, okay, uh, I just need to like decide what am I, what, what's doing, what, what's successful is really like what I'm meant to be doing more so than the money. Yeah. Um, Cause when I had money, I didn't have peace. And so when you have, you could have anything and you have peace and you're just like extremely anxious. Mm. Like I, uh, it wasn't, I, there was one thing though. I was able to go to Central Mall. Remember Central Mall? Oh yeah, all my buddies grew up in Fort Smith. I forget that you no, did. No, I don't know what that is. It's the crappiest mall you've ever seen, dude. It is an awful mall, bro. It is, uh, 
let's just say it's like it looks like it was built in like the 60s yeah and uh, all those like pictures of like where you see like something from a like something that reminds you of when you were young the nostalgia photos yeah it looks like a vintage like building and like it was that. just to today <laughs> it wasn't in the past no no yeah. no it looks like it still was but uh i i remember i was like able to go there and like buy stuff without looking at the tags oh my god so that was probably my biggest taste of like hey this is successful and then i got the car um what car did you get that was the corvette and so that was the second Dang. thing where i was like okay this is like this is kind of nice driving the corvette so what year was the corvette what year did i buy it or what year was the car right, yeah just both uh, 2018 i think i bought it in. i think i got the car early 2019 and was it like the stock one or yeah okay yeah how much did you put down <sighs> way too much so my business crashed like six to eight months after that Six to eight. Okay. so I, lo- I didn't lose the money on the, the after the down payment um but i lost the down payment i made no oh, money yeah. on that so it's thirty thousand dollars thirty thousand man what i could have done with thirty thousand dollars when i lost everything oh my uh, god was a lot <laughs> the answer to that question is like a year of life that i could have had thirty thousand and a down who knows what happened. wow at 18 years old yeah i remember Jeez. i uh, i walked into the dealership and they're giving me no time of day because yeah i'm I mean, a young kid bro my hair was so bad back then I had this short hair. I looked like a toothbrush. My hair was just straight up. Um, and yeah, I didn't look like I was going to buy a Corvette. And so they gave me like, and I remember I had to buy it online. So they shipped the car to the same dealer mm. and I pick up the car and I'm driving it out. And I see the guy that like, wouldn't really give me the time of day out with his group of employees. And I was a little cocky at that moment. Uh, and so I rolled down the window. I'm like, I forgot his name. I was like, Hey man, got the car. Oh, uh, and like, I'm not even joking, bro. It was literally like a movie. His face, I don't know if he was looking at me or looking at the commission that he missed out on. Oh my gosh. But his yeah. face went like, and like all of his Dang. friends were like, kind of like, whoa, what is that? Or all the uh, other employees. Um, and then, yeah, I drove off in the sunset and yeah. Dude, bought the car. That is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so stereotypical. Mm-hmm. I should not, it was terrible financial decision. Yeah. Yeah. I was not at a point where, um, profitability was massive. And so I was, I really probably, um, should have been living off of like a hundred thousand dollars a year, um, putting away some of the money and then putting some of the one, uh, using some of the money as, as, as a business expense or a business like safety net. Um, but hundred thousand is just enough for you at 18. Just enough to sustain your lifestyle. Yeah. 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 I wasn't, I wasn't living crazy. I never balled out. I never started spending grotesque amounts of money on anything. Besides the Corvette. Um, Besides the Corvette. For sure. Yeah. But no, I wasn't getting a ton of clothes. I wasn't really doing trips or anything like that. Yeah. So when did like cracks start to show in the business? Technically day one, there was cracks. Yeah. Um, My supply chain was the biggest thing. I needed to have that under control. uh, And I never got it under control until it was too late. So basically, print on demand, um, there's a lot of moving parts. You don't have a product that's really high quality ready to ship out to your customer. Um, And so anything can happen between the process of I sold the product, the customer has been charged, but there's nothing to ship them yet. So that shirt has to be made, has to be printed, packed and shipped out. Um, And so it was very expensive to do that. The costs were were, were pretty high and you can't really go off of what's called economies of scale. You can't really have a a ton of product that you're buying up front to get a cheaper cost because the more you buy, the less it costs. You can bulk. There's none of that. You spend like a large amount up front, but it's ultimately like much cheaper per unit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so i knew that i needed to do that which meant that i need to actually create it again like what i did with ethos from scratch i needed to go to a supplier have them create tons of units up front 
um, and then produce that clothing. So that was my idea of, of how I can really fix the business's profitability as well as um, give a better customer experience. It took a while for these products to ship to customers. And that was the first cracks. A few customers, it would take them weeks to get their order. Yeah. Um, and that is something I'm never going to do ever again. I'm never going to ship or create a company where the product isn't ready to go and I could ship it to them because mm -hmm. there's so many nightmares with the wait times hurting you. Um, and so, yeah, there was wait times and then customers would sometimes get like a, uh, a bad product, but it was very few. It was like less than like 1% of 1% of 1% of orders. Um, but that was like the, the slow residue of it back in the summer, either of, uh, I don't remember the timeline, 2019, 2018, something like that. Okay. Um, those were the biggest months I've ever done. That was because I was trying to go out and actually get funding in order to buy hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of product up front in order to do it not on demand. Yeah. So to keep that level of revenue going, um, cause my brilliant mind back then wasn't like I should lower my revenue and then buy, cause it takes like three to four months to produce clothing for like what would be just two months of, of, of fulfilling orders it would take mm -hmm. us three to four months to actually produce all of the clothing Get a large supply to do that volume and then resume mm -hmm. if, if you mm -hmm. could. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I was thinking of the, okay, if we keep these same multi six figure, uh, months up every single month consecutively, then in order, if it takes three to four months for us to to make that clothing, then we need hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of clothing yeah. in order to keep up those, like by the time we sell all of that clothing and ship it out, then we have to have clothing already coming in again. Right. And so to do that, you need lots of money up front to do that. Right. So that would, that would exhaust pretty much all the money that I had in the business bank account in order to be able to sustain a couple months worth of revenue. Um, and so I knew I needed like, just like 70 to hundred grand in order to do that. Um, and if that money came, it actually probably would have saved the business. It actually probably not saved it, but it would have helped the business tremendously because then we could go off of print on demand. Our margin would instantly go down to like, we would have like, like 15% margins. They would go more to like 60 to 70% margins, which completely ch fundamentally changed the company. Oh yeah. Yeah. So where, and you say, I keep the revenues up. How did you control revenue? Mm -hmm. So basically we... It was controlled revenue. That was the interesting thing of it. I, I was able to control my revenue like like a, a gear. I was How'd you do that. It like, was Facebook advertising. I, I really fundamentally was learning Facebook advertising. Mm -hmm. And I was able to understand, okay, you need to have a certain um, creative asset. A creative asset would last you anywhere from one to three months. Um, and then it would dry up and no longer would be as cool. And then you need to replace that creative asset with a new one. Um, and then you need to run to a different ad to, this is a little bit different than it is now. It's a, it's a lot easier now to run ads back then, but back then you would need to run different kinds of ads. So you need a, a what's called a PPE ad, which is paid per engagement ad. And then you need to run what's called a conversions ad under it. The conversions ad is what's actually tracking customers. So this was, I was like, this was actually before the whole Cambridge Analytica thing. I had such a different understanding of the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal, scandal because I was understanding that Oh, the reason that they're able to find my customers who were hardcore right-wing conservatives was because they were being tracked all over the internet. Mm. In order for me to sell product on my website, I had to have what's called a Facebook pixel attached to my website. For me, the benefit was that any customer that bought a product on my website, I would be able to see that product sale tracked in Facebook because mm. they bought it off my website. I didn't realize until later that I was giving up, the, I was giving the keys to Facebook for them to track every single user that comes into my website. And so they give you this really important tool in order to, to run your business and to run ads, which is the Facebook pixel. And in return, everyone that goes into your website 
that's connected to their Facebook account on their browser, on their phone, they get to track what they're doing. And so uh, they have everyone else's websites and they're able to understand who this person is based off their web history. So their web history guides them and okay, this person's in the conservative news networks. This person's yeah. into Donald Trump. He's look, he's maybe going on Donald Trump's website, whatever. And then that's able to sort of like, like have us find those customers. And so I was running directly to those customers at the time. And I really was I, basically, I would have to find how much does it cost for me to get an order? So if an, uh, the, my average order value was like one and a half t-shirts, so it was around 30 to $40 for, for one customer. It cost me anywhere from 15 to $20 to acquire that customer. And so that's why the margins were small. You had mm. the 15 to $20 Facebook cost on top of the cost to ship the order on top of the cost to actually create the order. How much did the clothing cost? Add it all together, you have a slim margin. But yeah, I was able to, I, I was spending at one point, uh, my highest point, I was spending $10,000 a day on Facebook ads. Jeez. And I was doing around $20,000 a day during that time, during my, 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 my biggest month. So it was almost a formula, the more you put in, the mm -hmm. more you get out. So it's like, if you put nothing in, like there wouldn't be, like would there not be people who like disliked the shirt and came and bought it? It would only be, they'd only buy it if they saw like an ad from Facebook. Yeah, there was no, there was no way to come to the website. Uh, I didn't learn about SEO, search engine optimization. I didn't know about really content yet at the time. Mm. Um, now, what I know now is because of all of the horrors I went through with having to run a business off of performance marketing, where that's the only source of revenue, you're putting all your eggs in one basket and that one basket is extremely volatile. Performance and marketing. Yeah. So that. that's basically what I told you where you're putting in this much money to get one, one customer. Uh, that's called performance marketing. So marketing is just getting eyeballs on the product. Performance marketing is we identified this is how much it costs to get the product or get the consumer to buy. And so then we're going to spend that much money and maximize it and scale it mm. in order to continue that recipe. So it's like direct purchase marketing, like instant purchase. So if it's, if you're performing bad, you get bad sales too. Yeah. And there's, there was days. So it was really interesting. Um, I wish I had like some really awesome like engineer dude to help me sort of figure out our formula for this. Uh, I do now and I figure out there is some science to how we do it. But basically there's days where you're negative, where you're paying more like $30 to get a customer and you're actually not in the profit. But then there's days where you're way in the profit. Mm. And so then you have to look at it from a longer term view in order to understand, okay, this is actually, we are profitable doing this, but maybe not as profitable as we think we are. Um, and then nothing lasts forever. And so a winning product my product, like that T-shirt, was what's called a like I call it a major winning, like a holy grail product, like a unicorn. Yeah, I mean, isn't that like a venture capital term? It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's basically that for just like products. Um, usually, a winning product run well well on Facebook, depending on how um, broad it is, how many people and potential customers there are that can use it. Ours is very niche. It was very patriotic people. Um, and an older demographic. There were boomers. I was building a major boomer. Hey, we're boomers. Company. Yeah, we're a few young people too. Um, but basically it should only last a few months and then poten potentially make like maybe half a million to a million. If it's a small, just a t-shirt mainly. If usually that's how far you can take a t-shirt nowadays. Well, my t-shirt, like I had one t-shirt design that did 2 million in revenue. And so that was more than 70% of my revenue. Yeah. Just yeah. one design. So that was like a major winning product. And so it's easier to run Facebook ads on products like that than on poor winning products. Mm -hmm. But if that product doesn't win anymore, then if it's your only product, does this go south? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, that was, that was so there's a perfect storm that happened just to, to, to get to the part where everything started to go bad. Basically, I went to every bank and funding method I could could possibly go to. I, it was so many that I called up and so many that I went to um, and even talked to a lot of uh, potential people in the city. I remember one night 
I wrote down every person with money in my city in order to try to get funding. Um, and I hit them all up. No way. Uh, yeah. And I had a few meetings with people, but, um, it was really funny. Uh, a saying you'll get a lot when you're talking to investors is let me talk to my wife about it, mm. which basically means that they don't want to be in part of it, but they don't want to say no just yet. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of wives were talked to during those meetings because I was just some 18 year old with no experience trying to say, yeah. Hey, can you make a hundred thousand dollar check for this company? Basically the angel investors didn't go forward. And then my, my, the businesses act, the banks for, lo for a loan, they're really interested in me because of the, the actual statements I was giving them. I was giving them monthly bank statements with huge, um, deposits. Uh, and so that consistent deposit was like allowing me to get into these meetings, but I was 18 at the time, had no collateral, had zero credit. And I didn't know any rich people. I had no people that could be able to back anything I was doing. Yeah. So it, was, it would be like three to four months wait time where they would go under the underwriting process um, and then come back and be like, hey, we, we'd like to be part of this maybe in a few years, but we can't right now. The business is too new. You're too young. Um, and so I knew that I had to do it myself. So my dude, I got a Corvette. That's, that's yeah. my collateral and credit. <laughs> yeah, right I'll there. give you the Corvette, bro. <laughs> yeah. And like a bunch of T-shirts if it doesn't work out. Like, On-demand T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, I knew that if I couldn't do, get the funding to do it um, myself, then or do it from them, I'd do it myself. Um, but I did have this one meeting with this uh, amazing man named Steve Clark. Um, but it would take around nine to 12 months working with his team in order to make a, a an investment offer happen. Um, and so I that was like the only, the most promising thing was nine to 12 months away. Um, and so thinking back now, nine to 12 months is not that long. No. At 18, 19, nine to 12 months is forever. Nine to 12 months is not that long. I probably should have just like slowed down the company and continue doing that. But uh, I said, screw it. I'll do it myself. If I'm only making this much uh, like percentage profit off of this much revenue, if I expand my revenue to this, then I'll make this much profit and then I'll be able to lower back my revenue. Because again, the advertising was like a gear. It was like a, a funnel. I could turn it on or off. Then I could reinvest it, buy all the clothing myself and then like fix this business fundamentally. Um, and so I did that. And so for two months uh, back in like, I think one of that summer, uh, either 2018, 2019, it was the biggest months I've ever done, um, ever. It was like close to half a million dollars in two months. Um, and so I, it fun, it, it, like theoretically it worked, but what I didn't realize I was doing is I was building a massive ticking time bomb for myself that was about to collapse on me and ruin my business, ruin my life and, uh, being like an incredibly stressful period of time. Um, basically my supply chain was not able to like maintain, I guess my, my, my supplier was not able to maintain that, that volume I was doing. Um, and I pushed so much volume on them and I think their business also wasn't fundamentally s solid as well as their clients that they were shipping product for too. Um, and so what I did was I, I, I made a, a lot of customers, thousands of customers have to wait months on their order. Many customers never getting their order and many customers, um, getting the wrong order. I created about like 10,000 of those in Jeez. two months. What would they get? Like a SpongeBob <laughs> I had, shirt or something? I had people getting Michael Jackson t-shirts. <laughs> no, I had people getting men's size prints, which are big on women's size clothing or the opposite <laughs> women's size prints on men's size clothing. Um, and yeah, the biggest <laughs> a thing tiny little times. logo on their shirt. Could you imagine like you, you, you would buy a shirt, you had to wait a month for it, oh, uh, which is way too long. And then you'd, you'd open it up and the print is about this big and the shirt's oh, about this big. Yeah. It's just terrible. Not, not, not a good, uh, me and my, my poor Filipino friend, we had to do a ton <laughs> A PR disaster. Uh, yeah. Philippines friend. We had to do a ton of, uh, of customer service oh, emails. Yeah. I remember it was so bad. I had to hire my friend, uh, 
I was a city kid, but in Fort Smith, I had a bunch of good old boys. Yeah. Uh, and I had a friend named Cameron Brady, and I, I had him come over, and we would have to, f- like, like, dude, I'll pay you $100 if you'd help me, like, send a 1,000 emails today. Oh, yeah, 1,000? So, yeah, so literally from, like, when we woke up till like, literally nighttime, we'd be just, like, writing emails, um, trying to respond to these customers. So basically, oh. I destroyed the business <laughs> because I wasn't able to fulfill all this you demand. You just doubled down. <laughs> I doubled down, <laughs> and um, I got what's called chargebacks. Uh, and if anyone who's ever gone through this is listening to this that has gone through, like, chargebacks, chargebacks. And, and what's called a, a hold, a PayPal hold, and payment processor hold, um, we, we could go on a vacation together and talk about it for hours because it's, it's a very interesting experience. What is it? Basically, you're only supposed to get less than like 0.2 to 0.5% chargebacks out of all of your orders. If your chargeback rate goes above that, you're what's called, um, well, basically they flag you um, and they need a review to make sure your business is working um, because a payment processor is the, is the portal to credit cards and debit cards. So in order to run an online business, you need to accept debit cards and credit cards or PayPal. Um, and so both PayPal and Stripe, uh, Shopify Payments uh, via Stripe, they're the payment processor and they give you access to their tools in order to be able to sell to customers and accept revenue in order to have them swipe the card and they send that money from their card to your bank account. Um, so they make sure they need to make sure they're working with, with good businesses that aren't scamming people, basically. Because they're on the line. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. If their chargeback comes and, I'm, and I, I jump out of town with the customer's money and I go to the Bahamas and they can't find me or track me down, it's out of their pocket that they actually mm. have to pay the chargeback because chargebacks are a very strict process in the bank and, and credit uh, like sort of industry where um, it's, it's supposed to help against fraud, basically. Well, my chargeback rate was so high, it was considered fraud. It, wasn't, it was past the red flag. It was oh. all the way up to fraud. It was like 10%, which is terrible. Now, I didn't want any of this to happen at all. And so my heart dropped and I realized what happened. How, did, how, did, how do you get chargebacks? Uh, so the customer calls up their bank and says, hey, I never got my order. Um, I sent them an email. It's taking them forever to get back at me. And I'm seeing a lot of pissed off customers on my, my on comments on Facebook saying they didn't get their order either. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to file a chargeback. And so then the, the bank submits to me sort of this letter, but it's like a digital letter. Hey, um, you either have to fulfill the order or you have to refund the customer full. Uh, yeah. Okay. And yeah. so when, when you had 10,000 angry customers... And just you and your friend, <laughs> you couldn't yeah. fulfill all of those. So that's why you got 10%. Yeah, basically. So what happened was everything that could go wrong. Now, since this whole process got out of his hand on me, because some of the stuff I went through was kind of like comically bad. And the timing was like everything that could go wrong went wrong. And stuff that didn't need to go wrong went wrong. Um, that was all part of my journey of, yeah. like, of sort of finding myself and finding God through all of that. Um, I needed to hit rock bottom. And that was sort of like that was like the nuke on officially getting to rock bottom and then like two years of hell after that. Mm. Um, and so that was like, it was incredible. I remember, um, all within one week, all the, all the customers. So I found out that an angry customer has a timeline. They all do after like around five weeks, the customer gets upset after around seven weeks, the customer's ticked. If they haven't heard back from Shopify or if they haven't heard back from customer support and they haven't gotten their order, that's their timeline. Uh, and so all these customers were on that following that timeline. So I got hit with thousands of emails at the same time. And that's when I realized, oh crap, my supply chain is like my, my, my products are not going out. Something majorly wrong. Now that was my fault. I take full accountability for that. I should have been a lot more. Um, I should have really made sure that I was able to fulfill the, the, 
the products that were the, the orders on my business. And even though I had a third party person, um, that was like the blood was on my hands. I knew that there were problems with that already. And I should not have allowed that much demand to go through. Mm. Um, but like I was, it was too late now. <laughs> I was in the situation thick. Um, and so then at that moment I got tons of chargebacks. So I had to settle all these cases. And then the biggest kicker was when you get a certain number of chargebacks, your payment processors can hold your funds. So you, before the money goes into your bank account, it's held by them for a certain amount of time. So all of a sudden I had hundreds of thousands of dollars locked zero access to it on PayPal and Shopify. Um, and so I didn't know that it would take me close to eight months to get that money back from those, those payment processors. So I kept the business running at the same volume. Oh no. I thought eight months? that I would be able to fix this and I needed future capital in order to reinvest back into these, these customers in order to keep the business alive. And so I was, a, I was running the business, paying for the ads, paying for the product without revenue from the business bank account. Oh. And so I was taking money I didn't have to sell orders that I should have been getting um, with money I couldn't get access to. That was the revenue because it was being held by these, these payment processors. So what I essentially did um, is liquidate <laughs> the entire business account. I laugh about it now, but back then it did not feel good. Oh, and man. I remember, and so the, say everything that could go wrong in a week went wrong. I remember that like four to five months prior, I wrote a check to the government for $50,000. Like that was like the, taxes they had to pay oh like the irs yeah yeah okay um their government took the my government took a their pretty time to to, to cash that check um <laughs> i forgot about it at that point i totally forgot that there's a check that could be cashed at any moment and i remember looking at my, ba my bank account one day and after all of this happened seeing the minus forty nine thousand oh, something something no. dollars and i'm like oh my gosh I need that money. I could have filed an extension with the IRS if I knew that I would be in the situation now, but it was too late. No. And I, I don't think the IRS gives returns or refunds. So um, I was screwed. I was like, Dang. oh no. And then in that moment, that one uh, relationship with Steve Clark, that um, I remember that like that week I went to him and I was just completely open. Like I was like, hey, this could have been a potentially good business investment. Um, I told him everything. I'm like, now this is like, I need help. I don't know what to do. I want to make it right to all these customers. Um, I think the business could still be successful, but I just made a hole for myself. I don't know what to do. Um, and at that moment, he was potentially going to sort of be my silver lining and, and help me get out of the situation. But I got so many bad reviews, and this never happens. The Better Business Bureau of Fort Smith, Arkansas, created a, a press release saying that this company, Proud American Supply, has a high rate of negative customer reviews and that we uh, advise you to beware of this company and gave yeah. me like an, a D or F rating or something like that. I remember like people would search up the business's address because I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was running the business out of my home. I, they had people like angry customers posting my house on Google Maps, on, on Facebook comments saying, this is the business we're getting our shirts from. I, this doesn't look like a business to me. Um, and then basically... The worst part was um, I wake up to a call from my dad one day. My dad is on 4029. He's the news guy. And he's reading the teleprompter, doing the news that morning. And he doesn't know the next story that's a, about to come up on the teleprompter. It's a press release from the Better Business Bureau <laughs> for his son's company saying that this company is now like classified as something to beware of no and he's way. reading it and he knows who the company owner is because oh. it's his son. Are you kidding? <laughs> He had no idea it was about to come up. He's like, so I wake what? up to a call from my dad being like, hey, if any reporters come to your house, if like anything happens, call me. 
don't talk to anyone. Um, also, my, I, so I wasn't talking to my parents about any of this. Um, I, my parents had no idea that like what was going on. Dude. That was a huge character flaw. I, don't, I, I kept everything private and was like, I'll, 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 I'll go through this, this storm on my own. Um, and so they had no idea until my dad so leads dad. it to the news. What a terrible way, man. <sighs> yeah. Really That's bad. like so funny. It's like so ironic and like so terrible that it's just hilarious. It's so funny looking back at it now. <laughs> Your but dad it, reads it, really it really weird at the time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then I get an email from Steve Clark that was potentially going to be my silver lining from his partner saying that, hey, um, we saw the press release. This isn't a bridge we're able to cross at this time. Um, we hope the best for you. Uh -huh. uh, and that was that was like supposed to be the end of that. And um, so that happened like a day before the IRS check thing, a day before my, my all my money got held. Um, and so immediately everything that could go wrong went wrong. There's a few other things too um, that like, why is this happening now kind of situations. Yeah. Oh man. Long story short, the business was not able to be revived. Um, Steve Clark did end up actually being able to help a lot of these customers get their order and, and making the situation like solid. But we tried our best to revive the company at that point. We had to rebrand it because the brand was tarnished at that point. We lost hundreds of thousands of followers in our email list. And so everything, mm. um, it, it was starting from, from ground zero. And we weren't able to, to make it work. Um, and so, yeah, that was sort of the end of, of Crown American Supply. And that was the beginning of going from having a Corvette, having a house, a bunch of stuff, a girlfriend, and, and all that, to I actually lost everything the following like two or three months after that. I lost the car. Um, I lost a lot of my stuff. Uh, I lost like my girlfriend, my girlfriend <laughs> and my dog, dude. What? My dog escaped and I never saw her again. Oh, no. all like during this period I lost. And then like I, I was at ground zero and that, that was like the most anxious dude. and stressed I ever have been. But everything I just said, I would not, I would not take any of it back because I learned about me. I learned about like what I was supposed to be here for and yeah. what life was really like, like, it was about me having relationship with God and it was about me having a purpose that had these gifts of entrepreneurship, but I was using it for the wrong purposes and now I have a purpose for them and just to be able to find peace in that I had no peace through any of that. And for the next two years or like it was extremely stressful and anxious, wow. but through that I was able to, to grow. And so actually I would not take any of it back for a second and I am extremely honored to have gone through, gone through something like that. And I'm thankful for, for like just his grace and his love, God's love through all of that because he was there through all of it. And I didn't know him yet. Yeah. Um, and you bet that during that time with the amount of stress on my shoulders, I was starting to dabble into drugs and drinking and partying, um, just to try to get some sanity out of like just the craziness I was going through. Um, but that didn't mean that God took his hand off me for a second and he would lead me for the next two years was a very growing and sober opportunity to rebuild my life, mm. but also to rebuild me as a person. Um, and through that, I wouldn't take back a thing. It was, it was, it was needed. I needed to go through that to be who I am today. Wow. So yeah, it was totally worth it. And how, and how much debt were you in at 19? I think $250,000. Two. So all of that with lost everything, 19 years old, quarter million in debt. I call that my, uh, my college degree. That was my college debt. Dude. Yeah. So just like the emotional, like stress, the emotional toll of one of losing everything, two of having all that Corvettes gone. Um, and I think it's an amazing story. Just you're here today and like looking back happily at it and still 
being a risky riskier risk-taking entrepreneur you know it's i think it shows that you've had a good <laughs> a good healing process you know come around you've matured a lot and you're still you still have that fire but dude that is i couldn't imagine going through that as like a 35 year old hmm. like mature and like but like 19 man like what were your what, was, what were your thoughts emotionally and and your how you kept going um well first off thank goodness i didn't have like a wife and kids and i was like 35 that wouldn't bad um like 19 and early 20s was a good time to go through that uh to get it out of the way um everyone's got to get it out the way sometime yeah Yeah. and i'm not afraid about i have to go through through something like that again i'm not worried about it Mm -hmm. i am I understand how their God is and what that means. Like I'll, I'll, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Like that's a huge thing. Like no matter what, I have a brick wall of safety. I have a safety net of God, no matter what I go through. And so if I go through that again, um, it won't take the toll that it did. It just won't. I, 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 it was a traumatic moment, but there's no trauma effects of it other than what God's brought me through. And so like, I'm not afraid of like having to go through something like that again. I don't want to, not anytime soon. No. Hopefully, hopefully cross post is successful. Yeah. Um, and I learned a lot of like how to not like kill a business through that. But um, yeah, I just remember driving everywhere was just, there was no calm headspace. There was no, like when you're just like casually in traffic waiting, um, there is no just like take a deep breath and just you're, you're I'm not saying you're, you're not like, you're not happy when you're just sitting through traffic, but you're not just desperately scared about what can happen next mm. and have no sense of, of security in any way. Um, and so there was no like quiet peace time. There was no like chill evening. Every evening was the stress. And I, I physically had to, to it was like the, the, the ax was already dull, but I had to keep going and using the ax because I had to keep the business from sort of dying out and rebuild after that. And so I still had to work insanely late hours. Um, and so then I was just like physically stressed, but I was also emotionally just like extremely, um, it's the l- lack of peace is the biggest way to say it, just anxious physically. So you could feel the anxiousness and that was like set for months and months and months. It, there was like days where it would go away, but it was a physical anxiousness in my stomach mm. that just like was not going to go away until I was able to fix the situation. I've learned now that you don't pin your anxiousness off of the, the, the situation that you're going through because it's life and anything can happen. You pin your anxiousness, you pin your worry on, on something that can't be undone, can't be changed, which is God. Yeah. And then you don't have to allow your feelings to be de- defined by what you're going through. You let your feelings be defined by God, who's a rock, who's like solid. And so you don't have to fear anything like that. But I didn't know that at the time. And so I, was, I, was fe- I, I learned that I was scared. I was a fearful, scared 19 and 20 year old at that time. And so, um, yeah, that produced a lot of negative, um, really negative traits out of that to try to cope through that. Um, so yeah, that's what it was like. Wow. But I'm not there anymore. Not there anymore at all. Yeah, God's been just beautiful through it. It's, it's I, I really, that taught me what happiness was. That taught me what peace was. And so that's one of the reasons I wouldn't take any of it back for a second because I'm like, okay, I know what it could be and it's not. And like, I'm thankful that I have a, I have something to compare. Even not the happy moments, just the mundane parts of life. It makes everything seem really, really good and fun. So even if I walk through that crappy central mall again, 
it would be it's it, it, doing the most boring things is the most fun now. Um, like the most mundane things are like exciting. Like just hanging out with you here at this podcast. Like this is extremely exciting. Um, and like little things are amplified by, in life by by having to go through stuff like that. Mm. Wow. Wow, man. I'm glad you're excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, I really am glad you're excited. This place is cool. Yeah. Dude, I, and you're a cool guy too, so you gotta make sure you gotta get your your words in when you're have your story and your. Oh, your I'm guys. just happy to hear you, man. You know, because I could talk about myself all day, but eventually that gets tired. Probably in 30 minutes, it get really boring. Nah, it's nah. so, it's so. I, you have a very worthy story to be told. Just listening to it, I don't, I don't know anyone who even has a similar, even, t- like tamed down version of that. That's such a, a wild experience to go through as really a, a kid you know i feel like you, you feel like you were emotionally stunted because you never got out of high school um like there was no transition because it was in high school and then uh, when you started and then you graduated and then it still was going on after so it was mm-hmm. almost like a there was never a break period of okay high school uh summer you know and then i'm going to start this business and start my life mm-hmm. it was almost like a here's my life at 17 and then like it's it's on it's now and do you think that during that time when it was operating till the time when it crashed things weren't matured in you and or things were stunted um it's a great question i would say parts of me were forced to mature and parts of me were forced to um, grow up quickly. Yeah. And then other parts didn't have a chance to, to go through their course. Um, and so even before things went bad, uh, in order to build that business took a, a tremendous amount of just time, just a lot of time. And so there was a lot of evenings, my friends would hit me up and I would say, no, there's a lot of, of, of evenings where, um, I was like in my basement late night, late out night, night owl. I, I was forced to become a night owl. Um, just working at like 11 30 12 12 31 and then some nights two three four and then a few all-nighters like every once in a while um and so just that i was already kind of pulled away from from the average uh i guess high school and then i guess you could say early college years um just because i had a lot on my plate to do um if you asked any of my friends back then they would say like yeah he was always and you know this he's always hard to to get a hold of and, and hard yeah. he's always late to everything um and so yeah that was even worse back then um, and so, yeah, I, I, there was a lot of sacrifice already to do that. And I understood that, um, like through all of this, I, I always knew with my life, I wanted to do big things. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I think that was all preparation. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of that was the big things. Um, and so I understand that like there's a sacrifice that comes with that. And so I was willing to go through that. I didn't know how bad it would be. I don't know if I would have signed up for what I had to go through, but, um, to answer your question, yeah, I I was forced to mature in a lot of ways. I was forced to able, be able to handle a lot of stress. Um, and now it takes a lot of stuff to sort of make me, like, off my, my game because of how much, like, you can handle when you're forced to handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, I regretted not having a ton of, of um, like, I had a few close friends. But, yeah, my social life definitely was 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 stunted from this. My, my like, relationships um, were definitely hindered. Uh, when you're trying to talk someone to someone and you're not present because your mind's over here and your mind is trying to put out these fires while you're trying to just hang with someone, mm-hmm. 
yeah, it was really hard being in yeah. the moment and present with people for sure. It robbed you of being just a young guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like it. I, I, I got signed up for a lot of work and a lot of stress early on. And so, um, like, again, I wouldn't take any of it back, but yeah, yeah there's parts where I look back and I'm like, okay, my friends got to like go travel or, um, a lot of them have friends that are married now and mm -hmm. like, yeah, we didn't, we didn't have that. Yeah. Um, and that's the life okay. of an entrepreneur and a leader, you know, any position of leadership, there's a lot of sacrifice. And so that's, that's why I think some people just, it's a, a benefit to just live your life as a, as a kid, you know, it's like, there's nothing wrong with not being a 20 year old superstar. And like, I think there's a, there's a beauty in going through natural stages, enjoying your life, not stress free, but without unneeded unneeded interferences and then when you're mm -hmm. 25 maybe get married introduce introduce some stress i mean that's yeah. just going to come with as you increase in your life but then 30 get more and then 35 maybe own a business and then at, at that point you accept okay I'm, I'm willing to accept these sacrifices that it takes to run let's say two million dollar uh, business you know and you've already experienced life to where it doesn't or one, you're a whole person, and then two, you're not wishing to do anything else because you've already experienced the mm -hmm. 20, 20, early twenties, late teens, uh, mid late twenties, and then and then it just keeps on growing and growing. That's why I think, I not to switch it up completely, but I look at the politician Vivek. You know him? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah he's, he's, he's like thirty nine, cool. right? Mm -hmm. And I I know he. He could handle it. Like, I actually really don't know him, but I know John Kennedy and Theodore Roosevelt. Roosevelt was 43, and so was Kennedy. And they were great presidents in their own sense, but that doesn't mean that they should have been forced to handle the most stressful job mm -hmm. in the world. And I think there's a, there's a good thing about being an older leader. Yeah, yeah. yeah I love I'm that, not man. too sure. Yeah, I mean, well, I think we got our time. So, dude, thanks for coming on. Yeah, bro. This, this is awesome, a man. great experience. Yeah, thanks for sharing your stories. And I'm looking forward to another time. Hi, bro. Uh, you want to go hang out? Yeah, bro. Let's go hang. All right. All right, bro. See ya.